This is Many Windows. We are part of the Independent Podcast Network. Find other great shows at independentpodcast.network. Many Windows is a podcast in which we explore stories from the wide world of education from the perspective of two educational leaders with more than 40 years of collective experience. My name is John Cassie. I'm the co-founder of Qualia, the School for Deeper Learning in Calabasas, California. I'm joined, as always, by my dear friend and co-host, Jennifer McGlimmery, who was formerly the principal of Dolores Huerta Middle School in Burbank, California. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, John. How yeah, are you? and guess what? I just finished my first year of being a student in grad school again yeah. for school psychology. So Amazing. I've got a year under my belt. I got yeah. two more years to go, but that third year is going to be a full-time internship. I'm, so it's been really great um, being back in school and learning and exercising yeah. my brain and just... Yeah. You know, when you've when you've worked in schools for quite a while and then you go back and you relook at, you know, theory and it's just so many of those connections are made that when you're when you're first going to school to become a teacher, to become an administrator and you haven't done it yet, it's all theoretical. Mm -hmm. But when you have something to hold that information onto experiences, which I think is something we can all learn about teaching. It's like, if you've got those experiences to hook this, this new theory on, it just becomes so much more relevant and um, impactful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's what, it's what sort of adult learners talk about when they talk about having a transformative experience. Yeah. Right. Like I now know enough things in enough different areas that each new thing I encounter connects and interacts mm-hmm. interestingly with something I already know. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not hanging a hat on a, uh, you know, on a hook that's never had anything on it, right? And that's yes. ex- that's exciting, right? And you know, you're you're doing. I mean, you're basically in the same kind of entrepreneurial education space that mm-hmm. that I'm in with the work you're doing. In addition to the to the education, right? So you've yeah, had just a, you've had a very getting exciting to year. a getting to a granular level again yeah. around teaching, yeah. teaching and learning, trying things out that I've I've seen that I'm familiar with that I've heard of, but never really done myself. And yep. yeah, it's it's really been a year of growth for me. That's for sure. Good for you. Yeah. So now, last time we talked about learning styles. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how, eh, what is that really? Okay. And we've referenced the last couple of episodes, this concept of uh, universal design. Okay. And friends, this is really an area of Jennifer's expertise uh, over mine. So she's going to lead us through, uh, you know, a conversation about what this is. I know what it is, but you're 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 sort of the person on this one. Um, and uh, and Jennifer, wh- why should we care? Well, I so this episode is really going to be the extension from last from our last episode, the myth of of um, learning styles. Uh, and so one of the reasons I you know we were already kind of planning this, but then yeah. I just got an assignment. For one of my classes uh-huh. that I have to uh, talk about, or I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to look at my own learning style and then do a, do an uh-huh. assignment. I'm supposed to do a PowerPoint where I talk about it in the, using my learning style. And it just like all of course, triggered me on so many levels. Before. Right, right, of course. <laughs> like, uh, uh, no, no, not learning styles again. But I had to read again about learning styles. And then I had to, and read about differentiation and UDL, which again, I'm I'm quite familiar with, but it's always good. This is what I'm finding in, in this program. And anytime you think you know something and you go back and really look at the research again, it's like, am I, have I, uh, change this into something else and it no longer is 
valid and research-based because it's morphed. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but like the thing that I'm doing is morphed into something else. And I still think it's right. So I have to challenge myself and I'm like, okay, here I'm getting this thing about learning styles, but I, we just, I went off about learning styles just not too long ago. Right. You have perspectives. So I went back and I wanted to review that. And I looked at, we were supposed to um, do this learning style um, quiz on the computer. Um, And uh, I'll have to, I'll have to pull that up so I can share with you, you Uh know, some of the, some of the questions in Uh this, in this quiz, because I think it illustrates the point um, that we were making last time, which is, you know, you can kind of, like the first question, I'll just tell you, the first question okay. was like, which kind of books do you prefer to read? Number one was books with pictures. Number two was like books with words. And number three was like crossword puzzle and game books. And I I was like, well, I love to do crossword puzzles and games. And like, whenever I'm on, um, on a flight, I always get yeah. a crossword puzzle book. I don't know, something about being on the airplane where I can't use my electrical devices for the beginning. You know, I want to sit there and solve anagrams. And, you know, I've started doing Wordle in the morning and the crossword and all those. And I love doing puzzles and it's a great brain research. But of course, you know, I also love reading and I love listening to books. Mm-hmm. I listen to audio books all times. I listen to podcasts all the time. And, you know, I know that pictures also really help me understand things in a new way. So how do I even answer this question? It's unanswerable, right? And does it matter? We're right. We're both uh, uh, joyful readers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My answer to that question is yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, what's the picture? Right. I mean, if it's a nonfiction book and they're illustrating architecture or they're illustrating Mm. art or uh, who knows what, of course I want that. Right. It's better than not having it. Right. Do they mean like Richard Scarry's neighborhood picture book? I mean, right. Because I don't mind reading those either. Right. right? Perfectly happy to read those. Right. Um, I mean, that question as written for me would be unanswerable. I don't even care if it's written in English. Yeah. Right? Like it's in a language I don't know. Well, I'll take a, I mean, I can, if it's of interest, I'll take a swing at seeing if I can make something of it. Right. So, yeah. We are all, you're already. I do, I do absolutely love a good picture book too. I'm thinking now, you know, I would, you know, I go to the festival of books every year and I always go to the panel of the children's literature, the illustrations and the amazing. So be, I have some favorite illustrators. Um, That's the Caldecott medal. Yeah. Yeah. Are you familiar with the book that's called, they made it into a short movie. It's the boy, the the horse, the mole, and the fox. No. No. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's a beautiful book and it's illustrated and it's just got all this language in it. Just you want to take everything and make it into a sign for your office. You know, it's all these little nice. quotes. And then they turned it into a little ant just a little short. And I think it won the Academy Award for for this short. Yeah, you gotta check it out. Anyway, I will. I'm I'm digressing from my point, except to say that we established, I think, last in our last episode, that we all learn best when we have these multiple modalities. Yeah. Um, and that it's and to try and make teachers believe that they have to teach one way for a certain section of their class and then another way for another group of kids in another way. No, you don't have to think about it that way. Yeah. You do have to think about hitting multiple modalities, but that's what universal yeah. design is all about. Universal design for learning right. is how do you do that? And there's another term that I want to make sure we're talking about because all of these things, all these terms 
overlap and they get used interchangeably when they aren't necessarily. So right. the term is differentiation. Okay. Okay. So John Cassie, you're an intelligent man. Tell me what your definition, what, if I said, you know, we need more differentiation in this classroom, tell me what that means to you. There are an insufficient number of teaching approaches to the learning objective for the students in the room. So you've got students who need uh, five or six different approaches or modalities, but you're only bringing three. Differentiation would say, focus on the other three areas that are not being addressed and address them. That would be my yeah. answer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I watched a little video that was somebody's, you know, notes animated, but it was really good. And it was comparing differentiation and universal design for learning. Okay. Very short, but let me just tell you the gist of it. There's yep. some interesting ways in which they overlap, which is universal design for learning is based on these three principles, the pillars. I usually talk about them as pillars um, around this, this neurological research. It's a brain research that was done about brain networks. And it identifies these three networks of the brain that do something a little bit different. So there's the first network, for example, it would be, it's called the strategic network. And it's the how of learning, how the brain is learning. There's the recognition network, which is the what of okay. learning. What are you learning? How did you learn it? And then the engagement, the engagement piece is called, is based on the effective network, which is why, what's the relevance? Who cares, right? Like this is your limbic system. It's that mm -hmm. emotional component in learning to get kids to even care why they're, why they're learning, right? That's why it's the effective right. network. Right. Well, differentiation uses kind of these three inquiries, but it calls them something a little bit different, but I still really like it. So it still has the what, why, and how, but the what has to do with student readiness, okay. right? So where, where does a student come into your class with what kind of general knowledge, prior knowledge do they already have about this topic? Yep. What's their readiness to learn what you're going to teach them, what this grade level standard is, right? So, yep. so that's something when we think about differentiation that we have to consider is what is the student's readiness for my lesson today? Do they have those background skills? And now, you know, in a classroom, you're going to have all different entry points. Yes, right? So yeah. that's why you have to differentiate. And I have some thoughts about how we, you would do this, but that's why you have to differentiate even that entry point into your lesson for your kids who come with different prior knowledge and prior experiences. Yeah. So that readiness, that what, what they know coming in has to, will be different. And so then the what that you're going to teach, you may not get as far with what you want to teach with yeah. every kid. And yet you may have, you also have kids, you know, you know this, John, who come in, they already know what you're teaching today. Oh yeah. So what are you going to give them? How are you going to differentiate beyond? They come in, they already know it. What are you going to add to them, to your lesson that will allow them to, to learn something that day and not just be bored out of their mind? Right, right. One of the one of the ways that I encourage uh, colleagues to think about this, because I have primarily administered middle and high schools, right, mm -hmm. is to say one of the surefire ways to help you as an instructor who doesn't naturally think of this uh, technique, if you don't, I mean, some do, but if you don't, maybe think about station-based learning. Mm-hmm like an elementary teacher naturally would, right? Well, what does that mean, John? Well, that means that 
you've got four or five different physical areas in your room and students can either pick or they can rotate or whatever, but you're trying to get at your learning objective from a variety of angles. And the station's approach will let the student pick what they want to do, because ultimately it shouldn't be about aggrandizing you as the smartest person in the room or the most educated person in the room. It should be helping the students capture whatever you care about, right? And in my experience, a high school teacher that embraces it, it's transformative. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that they know exactly what to do with each station, but that's okay. We can mm-hmm. figure that out, right? Tell me about the kids in the room. Now, now, Qualia's classes are very small, so we wouldn't do five stations. We might do two or three, right? So the class of six or seven, or eight, right? You end up with sort of one kid at one, three at another, and two at another. Fine, from my perspective, right? It, it goes back to... Uh, one of the things that I often say to people when they're critiquing uh, game-based learning, mm-hmm. particularly when they're critiquing uh, using role-playing game modalities, because they say, well, you can't run a role-playing game with 30 students. I said, no, you can't, right? So the strategy is you divide your 30-person classroom into five pods of six or six pods of five, and you just do stations. And you, as the teacher game master facilitator you go group to group to group over however long you're doing this and each one gets a 15 or 20 minute set piece that's two set pieces in a conventionally length classroom it's it's five in a in a block in a big block you could maybe see everyone once right but high school teachers don't often default to that station concept, right? And I love it, uh, the, uh, something like that for writing. Yeah. So everyone's working on an essay and we're getting to that revision piece. Yeah. Right? So they've got, everyone's got their first draft. Now I'm going to split into stations. And at one station, you're when you go there, you are going to check for, you know, that all of your punctuation, capitalization, you know, is all in the right place. Okay. You're going to, you're going to go to that station. There's going to be a checklist with these things. Does, does every sentence start with a capital? Now this is middle school, but I'm telling you, even, you know, even at high, it's just remembering to check for those things. Okay. Uh Uh Run on sentences. Like you go through, you have your little checklist of you. Okay. Do you have periods? Do you have, is your dialogue written correctly? And then there can be a reference there. Okay, well, I don't remember what dialogue is supposed to look like. Okay, great. Grab this sheet right here that's an example of how dialogue is supposed to be written. Exactly. Right? So there's where you can build in those supports right. that not everybody needs because other other kids are like, yep, yep, this is right. I got it. Okay, now right. move to your next station. Now in this station, I really want you to punch up the, uh, you know, the vocabulary. Right. Go through and find five words that are boring words in your essay and use these a thesaurus or a computer with a thesaurus on it. Find right. some better words. You know, talk with the other people at this station. Like improve, improve. You know, and then and then one of those stations is me as the teacher, right? And it gives me that opportunity to conference with a student, either one on one or in a very small group. Well, that's the gold standard for a you know a high school English teacher. If you have if you can create this environment where kids are busy doing things on their own because they can be self-directed that age right. that allows me that one-on-one time, which is yep. so hard in a large class. So now we're kind of getting into, we're bridging this gap from the what of learning to the how. That's okay? right. So that's what is, matters. The how are you going to do it? You know, you need to provide this differentiation. You know, you need to provide different things for different kids how do you do. do that? Right, right. This is where yes. this is where learning style comes back into the conversation yes. in a weird way, right? It's yes. like it's not about. Well, I think students learn best when I lecture, or I think students learn best when they do fifty problems a night, right? It's it's not about you 
as the teacher as much as it is about the students and what techniques they need you to bring to the table so that they can learn more effectively. Because you have a learning objective that should be independent of a technique or style or or anything. It should be independent of all that. A learning objective that makes sense is then filled out based on what a teacher chooses to put in front of the kids. Yeah. And yeah. again, if you remember nothing else about how to do this, remember this key word, choice. Yeah. How have you built in choice yes. so that students, what whether they know what their learning style or they know how they best learn or they know where their areas of deficits are? Because that's what I find. It has so much more to do with yeah. students' deficits than a learning style. That yes. you know, I know that I'm not very good at reading, so I. I'm going to gravitate towards pictures or something being read to me or a video that I can watch. Yep. Fine. You can get all of the same information through any of those other modalities. Right. And we all just have good. to, we just have to find them and have them available for the students to self-select, to give them choice right. to how they, and that's where UDL is going to come in. We're going to talk about these three pillars and that's, okay. that's, uh, one of them. But and that third pillar for differentiation is about interest. It's exactly the same as that effective network. Why do I care? Why am I interested? So, right. you know, there's a lot there are things that teachers cannot control right. in their right in their job. So I'm thinking for a lot for a, a big part is the content uh, or the standards. Yeah. The, let, me, standards. let me say the standards and the curriculum. Right. Right. Sometimes they don't make content's not the right word because we do have more control over content, but stand, we know what standards we have to teach. Sometimes we're given the curriculum, whether we liked this book or not, we're huh? told this is what you're teaching from. Huh? So yep. those things sometimes are outside of our control. The number of students in your class, uh, what yep. they come That's in always with, outside their, your control. their preparedness for learning, their prior knowledge, all of that is outside of our control. Right. But, and and, and let, let me let me take this opportunity to piggyback on that for just a moment. Right. Because, uh, you know, I, I work in an independent school and I've worked in independent schools my entire career. Right. And sometimes and you've seen it happen to me, you know, uh, we're in a we're in a mixed teacher context. And, you know, I will say, OK, I, I work for independent school X, Y, Z. And you get this kind of like well, you know, that's all rich kids. So how hard can it be? <laughs> You're shaking your head. No, that doesn't oh. translate very well. Oh yeah. It's podcast. excellent radio. <laughs> me shaking my head. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, no and no. And the reason why it's no is because uh, kids come to learning from a wide variety of perspectives that have nothing to do with the uh, available economic resources that the family has to bear, right? Yeah. And sure. we've had plenty of students who are economically well-off and are badly parented. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of students whose uh, economic means would appear to be less than these students that I just referenced who are excellently parented. Mm -hmm. And so they have very different outcomes, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, please continue. Yeah, yeah. Rant um, over. Yeah, no, no. The uh, Carolyn Tomlinson, who's kind of known yeah. as the queen yeah, yeah. of differentiation, sure, right? Yeah. Yep. So she she wrote this article that I was looking at back in two thousand, and it's like, you know, what can teachers control and what can't they control? You know, and listed these some of these things, and then, but we have to focus on, okay, well, as teachers, you can control the process. Yes. The right that how so even if even if the standards and curriculum is dictated to us, there is some flexibility in the content that I, you know, I mentioned, yes. like we could, we can pull in some of our own resources, some of our own content videos, yep. um, you know, other books, things, like, right. There's lots of ways that you can enhance the content. We have control over that. The process is absolutely within our control. The how yep. of how, what we teach 
some of the products, again, talking about those integrating video, gamification, yep. uh, manipulatives, Project you know, all these learning. things. Yeah, uh, I will tell you that, that yes, our manufacturers of textbooks have figured out that teachers need a lot of things and for years have been pulling all this stuff on their own and are trying to yeah. uh, give you all those things. But so sometimes that's overwhelming. Now you get a kit for a new adoption. It's like boxes and boxes of things. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with right, all these? Right, and, right, right. You it's know, much, you it's, uh, it's drinking from the fire hose. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's like exactly. this is too much content. Yeah. But the learning environment is the number one thing that our that our teachers can control. Yeah. And so I got I was thinking I, I was reading this article and looking at that list and thinking I have some other things to add to that that okay. I think our teachers can control. And one of those things maybe this this is inherent in some of those other areas, but presentation the presentation of material is within our control, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? I can choose to purely lecture, to have the kids open up their textbook and popcorn read, yep. or I can, you know, integrate this little video clip. I can have discussion. I can break the students into small groups and give them discussion questions. I there's, you know, there's, there's a million different ways that I can present even new material beyond just that lecture format. Right. Indeed. Yep. That's what we've got a lot of control over. We yep. have control over how students show us what they know. Yep. Right. So that yep. textbook Assessment. adoption is going to come with tests in the back that we can just copy and hand out or, or. we have projects, we have podcasts, we have, um, uh, you know, uh, presentations, we, so many things. I want to, I want to dig, right. dig down on that a little bit more yep. uh, in a minute. I want to give you some other examples. We have control over how much practice we've give kids in mm -hmm. the area. You know, I know yep. we're on a timeline, but we know as professionals, what, they need to have more practice with and what areas I can actually zip through. Yep. Right. And it may be different in the same class. Yes. But section A really isn't great at this. And section B is really not great at some other thing. Mm -hmm. And section C is kind of a train wreck. So all of them require a completely different approach if you're going to successfully reach the kids in the room, which is what you should care about. That's right. And yeah. partner that with thinking about depth of knowledge, application yeah. of skill, right? That's your other end. And this is why, you know, what you were talking about early on, those, those centers, those stations, breaking it up into yeah. different tasks. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, more of a spectrum of where, where the students are going to enter the lesson. Yeah. And so I have my main objective yeah. in the middle of my spectrum, but I need to flesh out the other two ends. Okay. So I know that, okay, I'll just maybe do something simple or not. You know, I know that we're going to do this lesson on fractions and I want my kids to know how to add fractions. Yep. But I know that some of my kids don't have a stable grasp of fractions um, right. coming in. So I'm going to need to have for some kids a little bit of review and practice and um, about fractions. And then I'm going to maybe need to have some kind of graphic organizers or frames, I'm going to call them even mathematical frames. We talk in English all the time about sentence frames, but what about yes. mathematical frames? I did this for a right. student recently when we were doing long division, I actually just drew all the boxes. He was going to have to fill in with numbers until right. he got it for himself. So we can have mathematical frames and then, you know, okay, now here's the paper you actually have to do where you're adding and subtracting. Okay. And then can you have an interesting, uh, you know, um, I want to, I don't word problem for lack of a better word, but, you know, project problem story 
that has to be solved that might be interesting that uses fractions, but extends it. For those yeah. kids that are done with that um, fraction practice paperwork in five minutes, is there something you can give them? Okay, now here's our here's our issue. I and mean, maybe it's a recipe that's gotta be doubled or tripled right. or right. or you don't even tell, you say there's 50 people coming over to my house for dinner. I wanna make this cake recipe what do I need to buy? Okay. That's all going to be about fractions, right? So right. it's taking, it's taking that initial lesson and then fleshing out the ends, if you will. Uh-huh. So I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, and you're, you know, you're my expert on the, how you, how you, uh, challenge and push for those, develop something interesting for those kids. But let me go, let me transition really quick before we get into that, because we I want to get into the practical. We started doing that. But before I do, I just want to go through really quick those UDL three pillars. Yes, please. I want I want us to talk about our ideas within this framework. Um, if you want to look this, there's a great website that has not only the pillars and the technical language here that I'm going to throw a little bit at you. But it also has places you click and it gives you examples of how to do all these things. The That's website nice. is simply is cast, C-A-S-T, like a cast on your arm, yeah. .org. But what I usually do, I go to Google and I type cast UDL and then it brings up the cast website and it has the what's called the UDL guidelines and, okay. and you just keep clicking on this graphic organizer that it has and it it's color coded. It's, it's really nicely done. It gives you, you keep, you keep clicking and you go deeper and deeper and more examples, like more examples. So I'll do a quick overview of it. And then we can, we can talk about some of those examples. And this is, you know, how do you integrate differentiation? How do you create a lesson design that's one one lesson plan to rule them all, right? right. Not different lesson plans for right, right. different groups of kids and their different learning styles. Nope, I'm going to build one lesson plan that's going to work for everybody because I'm going to take these three things into consideration. Right. So the first okay. all pillar, good so far. Okay, the first pillar is known as action and expression, and the task is how do we provide multiple means of action and expression, which is simply um, how do the kids show us what they know? That's what I like to think of. So action means the kid's action and expression is how they're expressing to us that they've learned what we've taught them. Okay. Lots of places to put choice in here, right? So how are they, and, and it, and it can be what they're doing. So one of the first levels is access to this can be, you know, thinking about the physical action that the students are doing. This goes way beyond kinesthetic learning. This is like, what, what are they actually doing? Are they sitting with a pen in their hand and writing on paper? Is that the action? Right, right. You know, are they working with tools? Are they um, working on a computer? This is the action. Like what? So start to think about um, what are they doing to give us back something? The action can be participating in a discussion. Sure. The action can be in a Socratic seminar, you know, in a Socratic circle. It could be just verbal. It doesn't always have to be pen to paper. Correct. Right. And then, so the second layer of that is that communication piece. How are there multiple ways that we can have students communicate with us and what tools are there? So using the computer to not only read things to you, to speech to text for kids who really struggle, can, can we give kids a video camera and let them produce a little video on on the topic. Uh, can they report a, record a podcast like we're doing right now to show right. what they know and have learned? Just really start to brainstorm in this area. What are the many different ways that you as the teacher will accept them showing you what they know? 
What's the action and expression that they are going to give back to you to show what you know? The second pillar is, and these are not in in any order, because I think if I'd put them in order, I don't know. I'm never sure which order to put them in. So I was just going to say this should go first, but then maybe I'm doing them in reverse order. I don't know. But one of the other pillars is representation, which I sometimes shrink down to the word presentation. Okay. Because it's how we as the teachers present the information to the students. Yeah, that so, makes sense. Whereas the action expression was how the how of learning, how the kids are learning. The the presentation is the what, like what we're presenting. But then it's also um, displaying information in different ways, giving those all alternatives to just taking in all the information auditorily or taking it in just visually, but just having a variety of means for students to take in the information. So then we have to challenge ourselves. So with action and expression, the students are having to think about how they want to present the information to you. You're doing this now as you think about how you present the information to the students. I know, I don't know, probably 10 or 12 years ago, there was a, a bit of a, uh, discussion around the flipped classroom. Do you remember that term where, where, and I knew a math teacher in high school, high school math teacher who was doing this, where he would at night, he would record, I don't know if he did it at night. He would record himself doing the lesson. And then when the kids came to class, they could watch that They could watch it at home before they came. They could watch it again at night when they were doing their homework. But he was there in class just to walk around and help kids. Hmm. A friend of mine is has developed a a kind of a math curriculum. He does. He runs a math tutoring company in Burbank. And he's developed this where he just has these two to three minute little videos that he does for kids. He's kind of targeting first through fifth grade. And it's on just one really simple concept and then he's got these practice workbooks so you watch the video and then you you do the practice and i mean i think that's brilliant if if you've got once you have the setup to do that and you can record those things it allows you to kind of get out of your classroom and go beyond the scope of your classroom not to mention there's tons of this done for us already that you can find on on the internet Lots of videos, lots of science comes to mind. You know, if you can't do the actual experiment live in person with all the materials, you can watch somebody do it, right? Yeah. So um, just varying the way that you're presenting information and always trying to think about those different modalities of not just saying something, not just having the visual that goes with them, you know, having the kids do something with this, right. Uh, right, involving all of that's where this falls. Um, and then the other piece with the representation is right. keeping in mind the language that we use, the academic language. Our academic language is full of new words. And we have to keep in mind that we got to define those things and give kids experience with those new words and symbols in math and science. Um, and there's, we have to clarify that vocabulary, clarify those symbols that we use and what they mean. Do not take it for granted that they right. know the, uh, and that clarity of language, even around those simple math um, uh, symbols of, you know, plus minus multiply and divide, you know, what does that really mean? And taking yeah, right. the time to demonstrate that, get get your little math manipulatives out and have the kids work with it and have them talk about it as they work with it. Right, for sure. Comprehension is the third level of that, of the um, representation where we're yeah. building that background knowledge. That's like, that's all part of this too. What we were talking about just before I launched into this about um, figuring out I need to build in a few supports to help the students who come in that lack some of that background knowledge right? Um, to supply that for them. 
and some activities for them to do that. And then the final pillar of UDL is called engagement, which is the why, the interest, the who cares, why should I, why do I have to learn this? And I'm telling you, this is where just giving students some choice and autonomy, because no, the kids don't have a choice in what they're learning either. Yeah. They, for the most part, it's, it's all dictated, but they can have some choice in, um, in in applying some of the yeah. um concepts right when you're getting into something that's concepts reading they can read anything you know we tend mm-hmm. to script so much and tell them we need you to read this genre this genre this genre but you know there are a lot of areas where we can we can put in choice for students even if it's just as simple as a menu here's here's the here's the um the idea that has to be learned in this class here's five different ways to do it pick which one you want to do right yeah we talk a lot uh lately about basically like distribution requirements in high school Mm. like okay well we we ought to students ought to be exposed to plays and poetry and novels and short stories and novellas and nonfiction and essays and well, do we track that? No, not really. Okay, well, maybe that's something we ought to think about so that the student gets to pick what they want and they always have an opportunity to go deep in the areas that they really like, but not so much that they don't do other things that would be of benefit to them kind of thing. I love this um, lesson idea that I heard at a conference and she called it she called it like the Goldilocks Okay. Lesson. I may have told you about this before, but it was a it was a poetry unit, okay. for example, yeah. or a po- and probably accomplished in like two days. But really, she had a whole bunch of books of poetry just spread all over the classroom, and she said, "Okay, today during our fifty minutes, you are going to go around. You're gonna you're gonna look through these books of poetry, and you're gonna find three poems. You're gonna find one poem that is too easy for you." Yeah. Exactly. Right. This like you read it and you're like, I know what this is about. This is basic. You know, you throw some Shel Silverstein, you know, books in there. You know, like it's real simple to interpret this poem. It's an easy one. I could do this with my hands tied behind my back. You know, the idea being you're going to write about poetry. Oh, this is too easy. Okay, now pick one that you're like, this is too hard. I have no idea what this poem is about. I don't know. There's these images are doing nothing for me. I, I don't get it at all. And then where's the one that's just right? Yeah. Okay. This is 100% differentiated for every single student in your classroom because they are naturally the kids that maybe struggle a little more are going to gravitate. Their just right poem is going to be too easy for another student. It doesn't matter. Right. Right. And it's kind of, they're not sharing all of this publicly. They are simply going to write, here's the poem. Here's why it's too easy. Here's the poem. Here's why it's too hard for me. Here's the, the, my Goldilocks poem, the one that's just right. And here's, you know, what I can tell you about it. Right. It's so interesting. Early in my career, I was teaching a course on the history of Ireland and Scotland. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the last, the, the preparation for the final exam. Okay. Uh, I gave each student a piece of short fiction that was Scottish or Irish, okay, that I thought had some useful connection to questions of identity that the course had been exploring, right? And I thought that was pretty great because what I basically did was final exam, we were in a room we had, I put like a paper, you know, all over the walls. Every kid came in with a marker and I said, we're going to have a two hour conversation about everything that we've learned. And you're to get an A in this final exam, you're going to need to connect your story to this broader narrative and also bring forward a number of ideas that are you think are germane, right? best final exam experience that I've ever run. But to your point, the the best way to do this 
if I ever did it again, would be here are 50 examples of short fiction or poetry or whatever. Noodle with them for a half an hour and pick the one you want. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's only one of each because I don't want students to be at cross purposes. But if mm-hmm. I select some that I think, okay, well, all of these probably fall in green. Mm-hmm. Then these fall in sort of probably yellow. Like some students will think it's close. Some will think it's too hard. And then all of these are hard, right? Like any reasonable person would look at them and go, right? That Some might want it anyway. Like, yes. give me the hard one. Let me, let, yes. me, let, me, let me grapple with it, right? But it's obviously hard, right? That That's the strategy, right? If I were better at the job 25 mm-hmm. years ago, I would have mm-hmm. done that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyone well, can and- do this is the point. Yeah, yeah. It has nothing to do with learning style. Right. Here's what you point. need to, here's what you need to do as you're collecting all these resources. And it's also flipping the idea of where you're putting your work in. Um, you're not writing out a lesson plan about what you're going to say every five minutes. Your lesson plan is put out a bunch of books on poetry and tell kids, you know, to find these three, right? You have like yeah. a five minute description of what they're going to do. That's it. That's your whole lesson plan. But then what you're adding in there is you're, you should think about a few of those kids that are going to struggle with this activity, right? right? Brain thing. And then make sure you touch base with each of those kids and have some ideas already for them, right? right? Have your little notes where you've got five written down and you're like, what about this one that you could put in their hand? What about mm-hmm. this one? What about this one? Right. So you don't need to do that for every kid, but there's a handful of kids that you know in your class that that are going to struggle with choice because some kids have never been given choice in their learning. Right. They don't know what to do with it. And they just, you know, don't do anything. And so you gotta, you've got to be prepared for that. And, you know, you can, you, I love that yours was a final exam. You know, your, your example and mine was, if you have some lessons, like the one I described where they're, they're getting to have choice and things like that throughout the year. Whereas if you spring something like what you just talked about as a final exam, it, it could have been a disaster if you hadn't been practicing some of that throughout the year. Exactly. Yeah. I would never have sprung it. Right. Right, because that's too, no, definitely no, right? What's interesting, under the, in UDL, under the pillar of engagement, there is this, this section about fostering collaboration and community. That is an important piece of this, to be able to do these things that we're talking about, to be able to work with a partner or a small group, to be able to have that great conversation with one another that has to be taught as well kids don't just naturally do that right no so we have to vary the demands on the student we need to you know thinking always about um optimizing the challenge like how much challenge how little challenge that's going to be different for every kid um and foster the community. And then you can think about the way that you group kids. Are you are you heterogeneously grouping them? Are you homogeneously grouping? And we were just talking before we recorded this that we pro- we want to do um, an episode on group work versus collaboration where we just dive, dive way into that topic about how yeah. you structure groups for effectiveness and all the different things to consider. Um, but that is something that is, absolutely a part of UDL um, is thinking about those things and adding them in. So as I'm working with teachers, you know, I'm challenging them. And my first choice, my first question to them is how are you offering choice Mm -hmm. in within your day, within your lesson, you know, and how are you presenting your material so that it's varied so that there are different entry points for your different uh, learners and levels of learners, you know, right. what, are, and within that is like, what are the supports for the kids that 
um, aren't at that level that you're teaching at? And then what are the extensions you have for the kids that already know how to do this when you walk in the door? Right. And John, you're a master. The gamification, I think, does all of those things. Totally. Um, yeah, that's the point, right? That's the point of, of, of a great game-based lesson is it does all those things, mm -hmm. right? But like any other lesson strategy, it can go, uh, you know, it, uh, you can pick it when you shouldn't have. Yeah, right. Right, right. And, or you can... Uh, you can you can choose it, but not give enough support. And so students will bog down in the sort of the technicalities of it rather than it's like you get away from the lesson, the learning objective, and you get sort of overly focused on mm, kind of the mechanics mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. of doing, you know, whatever you're doing. To me, that's the challenge in, in game-based learning, right? It's not about the game. It's about the learning, right? Yeah. And, and yet we can't discount the need for having to do some explicit teaching. This does, this, this never means that you don't have explicit direct instruction. So I'm thinking about that again, that poetry, what another thing I might do with that is I would show a poem that we would all discuss together because I want to talk about alliteration. I want to talk about simile. Yeah. I want to talk about metaphor, right? So I've selected this poem that has all three of those things. Right. So we can talk about what those are. And um, then I might have another example. Let's find those. Then I might release my students with a website that has a whole bunch of poems on it right. or a book and say, go find me an example of simile metaphor, alliteration, you know, personification, all, all of those literary terms, but that's the choice area. Now you go find it instead of me giving you something and saying, like, here it is. What is this? Like you go find, go find it. That's the interest part in, in something that is interesting to you. Right. Right. And w once you've got that hook, Mm -hmm. most people want to learn things yeah and if you it's give true. them a way to get to well it's the point you made before it's not really about reading book x y or z but reading something that has some value or that will get you to some kind of a learning objective right um if if you have a hook then you're going to be able to persist through whatever the challenges that this thing is going to present you mm -hmm. better than if you're grinding on something that you could care less about and that maybe even your, your teacher is not entirely sure why it was assigned. Like, I'm not even sure why I'm doing this, you know, mm -hmm. had those moments. Surely you have Jennifer. Absolutely. Like, oh yeah. Like, Oh God. Why? Why did I do that? My favorite is when that happens like in the middle of the lesson. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Like, oh and no. And then you have to carry on because you can't just change everything like in the moment. I mean, no, nobody, no. Uh, not many people are able to really flip on a dime like that. You're like, okay, no. I just got to get through this day. I can repair this tomorrow. I just yeah, got to right, get right. through this day. Right, right. I just need to get through today. I'll figure out how to fix this tomorrow for tomorrow. Right. Yes. Like I'm going to drive home and all I'll be thinking about is this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, what one of the reasons why I loved being a secondary teacher is, you know, and God bless my first period class. But it was like, you know, you try something with your first period class like, well, that went terrible. OK, when do I have a break in the day to try and correct this before I have right. to teach it to the rest of the classes? Right. Right. Now, and the other thing to keep in mind here is that your level of experience will not necessarily increase the likelihood of bullseye, right? Yeah. And and two, an, an earnest, thoughtful, well-planned and intentional approach to doing this might still miss, mm -hmm. but for reasons that have nothing to do, they're, 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 you're, you're on the right road, but you've still sprung a flat tire, right? Yeah. You know, I had a colleague, I was driving home, couple months ago and he 
and he wanted to discuss how a lesson went so badly, mm-hmm. you know, on that day. And I'm, you know, listen, 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 listen. So that's fascinating, right? Uh, I said, do you have a plan for, t- you know, the next time the class meets? Yes. Great. Okay. And I said, here's here's what's interesting about this from my perspective, right? You designed a lesson. It sounded aces. You deployed it. It was a disaster. Okay. <laughs> Had you come to me, you're you have you're you're in year two. I'm in year twenty six. Had you come to me and said, "Here's the plan," what do you think? I would have said, "Aces, go for it. Can't go wrong." Right. And he's like, "It was a disaster from like the minute it started." Right. Like it wasn't even like maybe I can remedy this. Oh no no, totally wrong. Right. So as you think about what Jennifer's sharing. Don't for a minute think it fixes everything or that indeed you will do it correctly because, you know, teaching teaching has some science in it, but a lot of it's craft, a lot of it's art, mm-hmm. right? And the most artful are able to see that didn't go well. <laughs> I can fix it, though. I can fix it, though. Right? I think that's the that's the first step of the process is like, yeah. okay, identifying what didn't go well, right. and then figuring out why it didn't. Right. Okay? Step right. one, not always easy. You no. know when it's not going well, but kind of having that re- moment of reflection or or go like what exactly didn't work about this because right. you got to figure that out first. And then just what your colleague did, find someone to talk to about it. Because yeah. often it's in talking about it that we figure it out for ourselves, right? right. We think that, oh, I'm going to go find an expert who's going to tell me what to do. Most of the time, as you're talking about it, you have these moments of enlightenment and you're like, oh, you know what? I should have done this, or maybe I should try this. Right. And But if you if you just sit in your room and don't talk to anybody about it and just think I'm a failure. We yeah, all, you're because you're not. You're not. We've all no. had those moments. Right, right. You had a thing that didn't work. Right. But well, the whole that's... and I tell you, it m- most of the time it's not everything that didn't work. It no, feels no. like it. Feels right. like it in that moment. But really, there's just a few things that right. if you did them a little bit differently, it it makes all the difference. Right. One of my colleagues who's uh, a kind of courageous game-based learning person, right? Her 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 argument is this, and I think it's completely sound. Her argument is kids will give you great, great leeway if they see you're trying something. And thank God you're not just talking for an hour and a half, right? Yeah. Okay. Ms. X tried this. It didn't work. We all know it didn't work, but we like her. Yeah. Anyway, and we respect that she was trying something new. Thank God. Right. All right. So we can help her. Right. Yeah. So everyone is pulling together. That's that community, building that community. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. being vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes be. being vulnerable in yeah. the classroom helps you build that community. The other thing kids will give you is feedback. Yes. You may think that they don't know why it didn't work. They absolutely do. And will yes, tell you. They often will you know. Ask, if you ask yeah. them. Yep. Yeah. What didn't even, work about this? Right. And even if they're not dead on the money, bullseye, they're close enough to get you there as the professional. Yeah. Right. Well, it felt sort of like or were you trying to do this? No, this, I wasn't trying there, to do that. I was trying to do this. this. Oh, yeah, it didn't work. Yeah. Nugget in yeah. what they say. They won't say it in teacher language. They won't say it in, you know, right. academic language. But if you can if you can hear it and recognize it, there is a gra- there's this grain of truth right. that you can do something with. Full stop. Full stop. Yeah. 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 So again, I just want to leave everybody with, 
it, it's a lot to do all of this. Yeah. But if you are thinking about how can I present this information in a variety of ways. Right. Okay. How Which is can, what you should care about. Right. A variety of ways, different means of presenting it. Visuals, paper, images, audio, uh, workshopping something where right. you're doing doing something you're just varying it all the time and you have a variety of things and you, and you can even give kids choice in which way they would like to get the information and then you apply that same concept to how they give you back how they show you what they know give them choices yes and give them a variety of suggestions if you have done a bunch of if you've done the, the representation, the presentation part well and shown them all these different ways that you can present information, then they have a better idea on how to show you, to do the action and expression, show you what they know. Because you, if you just lecture all the time and then go, oh, you, you know, you can do a video, you can do a podcast, you can do this project. You know, they're like, I I've never seen that. I don't even know right. what that looks like. So how am I going to tackle that? But if you've been doing it along the way, then they have some ideas. They have confidence that you will value it. Yeah. Because you put it in front of them. Right. Because, right. you know, a, a lot of kids are very worried about, legitimately so, uh, grades, access to college, mm -hmm. uh, good transcript, et cetera, right? We've talked about why these things are problematic in other programs, right? But th th this is the world we live in. And uh, and they will want to do well in the system that they're playing in. And if you show, the way I do well as a teacher in my system is to give you lots of different flavors. Mm -hmm. It's not just vanilla every day. It's not just chocolate every day. It's It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And you will not rise unless you're doing the same thing. Okay, I can get behind that because you appear to care about it. Yeah. And if you're doing, you know, if you're if you're thinking about that and doing that, how you can have variety and choice, if you're yeah. thinking about that, you are, by doing that, hitting that third effective network of engagement. Yes. You're just naturally thinking about what are the kids interested in? how they're all interested in different things. So choice is the only way to hit all right. of these different things, right. right? So by just thinking about variety and choice, you're hitting that engagement pillar as well and that interest pillar. Um, so it it can be it's it, universal design for learning can be really complex. If you go to the cast website and you look at this, diagram and you click in there and it'll give you a whole bunch of different examples initially it's like overwhelming like i have to do all of these all yeah, of these right, things right, right right but it's like if you think about that just big idea of how do you have more variety and more choice in your classroom then you're going to find that you're hitting a lot of these um a lot of these points yeah along the way yeah amazing and not learning style which is you ultimately don't even, you don't even have to think about what their learning style is. Just right. know that there is a huge variety of kids in your classroom, as you already know, and you don't need to waste your time figuring out what their learning style is. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Great. Great talk. Good. Yeah. Amazing. So uh, li listeners, as always, we we appreciate your feedback. Uh, find us on Facebook or manywindows.net. And we'll be back shortly. Uh, I think, Jennifer, we're going to talk about um, a discipline, mm -hmm. classroom management, you know, mm -hmm. um, and sort of the myth that uh, the only way to maintain order is through terror. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The beatings will continue until morale improves, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, so brilliant. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, John. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. Okay. Great. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you send me maybe this video when it's all uh, done? I will try to.
Okay. It's you can chop off long. Chop off the first 40 minutes. Yep. And then send me, see if you can send me the content. Yeah. If I can't edit the video effectively, I can edit the audio. Okay. So, so you'll yes. at least have that. Is that okay? Yes. All right. Yeah. When do you need it? Um, this weekend. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. I, okay. uh, I will, I will almost certainly do it tonight. Okay. I've got, um, we, because we live near, but not in, uh, a sort of fire control abatement zone. Right. Um, and the person who owned the house didn't really do a great job of uh, rush clearance, right? Yes. Before we got on, I was schlepping this, you know, Everest-sized pile of flotsam and jetsam out to this bin we have, right? And I was like, I can't, I just can't do this anymore, right? So I have to go back to that when we're done here. Oh, gosh. You know, I can do it for about 20 minutes. Uh, and then I'm just like, I'm I, I'm not conditioned to do this. Yeah, right? right. Right. Well, thank God it's not 95 degrees out, and it's a little bit overcast. Full stop. Yeah, then it would be. Well, Five I'll just months. I'll just take the find. Yeah. Right. right. Let it burn. Yeah, I'll I'll be that guy. Right. But I don't want a special tax assessment. Yeah. Sixteen hundred dollars. Oh God. No, I don't want to pay that. Right. So, uh, good. Now, when are you back from New England? I'm back. I'm actually back um, the middle of, um, okay, let me just look at the date. What? Like the 28th. I'm back the 28th. Okay. Of June. Then, so end of June. Then let's maybe do... A recording session on that Thursday, the 29th. Let me look at that Thursday because it's I, it's pretty full, though. I see. Yeah, Thursday's pretty. Thursday's full. I don't know. I'm, it could be Friday during the day. And for so I start teaching for Alder on that Friday. Okay. I could do Saturday. I could do if I had to do. But I yeah, unfortunately. OK, uh, I, I thought if we had a window. I know. I, I think that window see. may be closed for me on the first. Okay. What What about okay. Wednesday the twenty eighth? Are you you'll adjust? I'm free. That. I'm I'm free until two. I'm actually I get home Tuesday night, so I, I have see. Wednesday morning. Let's let me. I'm just gonna block it nine to ten thirty. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. And I think my, um, oops, I did PM. Let's try that. I again. bet I can make that work. Okay. And I think that, uh, my two o'clock is actually a zoom, so I don't have to go anywhere. Okay. So I can go all the way up until two o'clock. Okay. Um, good. All right. I got, it, work goes got on. it on the calendar. Yep. Same. Good. All right. Uh, if I can get the video to you in some form. Great. I'll do so otherwise it will be audio. Okay. Is that okay? Yes, absolutely. Right. I'll, I'll do my best. Okay. Okay. Thanks, John.